You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. This is TechFan165. This week we talk about Apple's seismic shift in software and a little bit about the video game industry. And like I said, this is podcast number 165. And remember, many Bothans died to bring you this episode. I'm Tim Robertson, and he's David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. Start the show with a Star Wars reference. <laughs> I was thinking of that opening earlier, too. I, I wonder how many people remember that from Star Wars, though. A lot. <laughs> if they like, well, yeah, you'll you'll get maybe you can classify people by whether they get that reference or not in terms of how geeky they are. Yeah, many Bothans <sighs> died to bring in this podcast. <laughs> what, what I can, I must admit, I remember being sat there in the theater in '77. I was obviously only yeah, seven that, years old, yeah. and thinking, why? But did all the Bothans kind of line up? Well, that didn't happen I, in '77, by the way. That was Return of the Jedi, so that was, was it? happy. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm sure in the original one they talked about how many people died to get them the, the original death plans, Death Star plans. But it, it was it was like, why just the Bothans? Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know. Now that I say it, I'm yeah. I think it, that was Return of the Jedi because that's the one where she turns it over. She says it and she looks all serious and she goes, Admiral Ekbop. <laughs> and now, now I'm going to hand it over to the pseudo fish sat in a big chair. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, yeah. So there you go. So it was kind of a big week for uh, for Apple this week, David. It's uh, you know we've been talking about a lot of other things recent episodes. We really haven't touched about touched on Apple a whole lot, and so uh, we're going to have to kind of correct that with this episode and uh man wwdc i'm reading a lot of posts online people were some people were pretty upset that there was no new hardware uh there's a few george masters for instance on facebook um said that you know this was uh, not a good you know not a good keynote not a good wwdc and uh it wasn't significant I could not agree, or I could not disagree more. I think anyone says that is is exposing their stupidity. I wouldn't go that far. I just don't think that they paid a whole lot of attention. I think they just read the highlights and went, oh, so nothing really happened. Well, um, but it's it's a developer's conference. Yes. So They have released they... hardware at the developer conference before. Well, all right, they're fine. But the, the, I, I, I think that sort of comment just typifies that kind of false equivalency that apple gets that you know they expect everybody to blow them away with with hardware nobody can Im- can have imagined at every single time they talk to the press and it's just not like that it isn't and like you said this is a developer conference it really is about the software and i don't care how great this hardware is it's meaningless without great software because let's be honest for all intents and purposes uh, a kindle fire is exactly the same thing as an iPad mini, right? For yeah. all intents and purposes. What's the difference? Well, the software is the difference. 
You know, I, an I, average I, PC I, yeah. or a Chromebook is exactly like a MacBook Pro, except for, you know, it's not because uh, the software. So, well, yeah, they're all the same inside at the moment. Yeah. It, well, they have been recently. I mean, there was a time that Apple was using different chips than everybody else. and But, you know, that's that's so far in the past, it's not even worth rehashing. But this is a developer conference. This is about the companies outside of Apple that makes the ecosystem work. And what Apple is giving those developers in new versions of both the Mac OS, in this case, Yosemite Sam, and, <laughs> and iOS 8. Why don't they name iOS 8, by the way? I mean, they, they're naming Mac OS 10. Why not iOS 8? I guess because... I think if they if they were able to go back in time and change things, they wouldn't name OS ten either. <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, they they must have to sit down and think, what are we going to call it? What are people going to think? And you know what I noticed? Um, well, first of all, did you watch it live or did you watch it afterwards? I watched some of it live. It was interesting. I I was in a hotel room in London and I didn't have great Wi-Fi. It was okay, but it was it wasn't really good enough for video streaming. So I actually turned on my 3G MiFi to watch it. And I found that watching it, I connected my iPad to the TV and trying to do that, it just kept on freezing. So then I ended up, because I have um, a lightning to HDMI converter, I plugged it into my iPhone and then just ran it straight off the 3G connection from the iPhone and it worked fine. Hmm. So I watched about two thirds of it, but then I had to leave. So I didn't see, um, I saw pretty much all of the uh, OS 10 stuff. I didn't really see very much of the iOS 8 stuff. Okay, and they finished with the developer stuff. Yeah. Um, I watched it sitting very comfortably on my couch because Apple was streaming it even over the Apple TV. They had this little, uh, they have this app, Apple Events. And the funny thing is, I don't remember updating my Apple TV to get it. So it just, I guess it just pushed itself out and there it is. And I kind of like that, but. I don't know. I kind of don't too. <laughs> I don't like things getting updated without my say so. You know what I mean? Um, but anyways, I was curious. Will it actually work well over Wi-Fi on my Apple TV? And you know, is it going to be choppy? Is it going to be pixelated? I have to be honest with you, David. It was. You wouldn't know the difference whether it was a broadcast television in HD or the way I got it, Wi-Fi over the Apple TV. It was yeah. perfect. It I, I was so good. I was extremely impressed. I was only watching it on a small TV in the hotel, but I was impressed by how good it looked coming through my iPhone. It, it was I great. Mean, it, yeah. So they spent some money to broadcast this thing. That kind of bandwidth isn't cheap, especially, you know, two-plus hours. And and I think, I think that's one of the things I find interesting is they invested a lot in this. And from Apple's point of view, this was a really important announcement. And they got people going, it wasn't really very impressive. Oh, it was tepid and all this sort of thing. And it's just like, well, you don't get it, do you? You don't understand what this was about. Mm -mm. And it was, uh, I think this is one of the more significant keynotes that I've seen in a long time. I think it's the most significant I've seen since the passing of Steve Jobs, to be honest. Uh, It was a different Apple on stage. Uh, not yeah, I agree. I think this would this shows a positioning that I think most people in the industry haven't recognised. I'm not you know don't want to sit here saying I'm some sort of great prognosticator, but as soon as I saw it, I thought this is a shift in approach that I suspect other people aren't realising is happening. And yep. I reckon if they can pull this off, and let's be honest, you know this is 
this was wasn't even beta software at this point when we were seeing it so it depends on whether all the stuff they showed worked but i think this is a a major retrenchment of apple um and i think you'll find the next few years if they can pull this off that everyone else is going to be scrambling to catch up i agree 100 percent um a lot of people are saying that this is apple playing catch up to some of the things that android and windows is already doing and I say, sure, why not? I mean, nothing is created in a vacuum, but this is Apple's spin on some of those concepts. Well, and yeah. I kind of liked everything I saw, to be honest. I, I can't really point to one thing and go, ugh. Well, I, I think I find myself thinking that in the same way that you could say with the iPod was just an MP3 player done differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but it turned out to be a way that transformed the industry. To me, this is this is the cloud done differently. Yep. Because if you look at what Google does, um, and to an extent, Microsoft are probably closer to Apple than Google are at this card. But in 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 the respect that Google says the web is everything, the web is the master, and your devices are tools to access the yeah, web. Your, your tools are just dumb tools to access the more intelligent yeah. cloud. What Apple has said. With with um, and it's interesting. The first thing I thought was the amount of stuff they've done in twelve months. They've basically revamped two large operating systems with very big user communities in twelve months. And not only have they done that, they've brought those two operating systems close together, and they've written an API for pretty much everything they showed. And it's which all is, free, by the way. Uh, yeah, exactly. I thought the amount of work they've done is is extremely ambitious. Yep. Um, and, but also what they've done is, yeah, they've going back to what I was saying about Google, they've turned the cloud on its head. They've said the cloud is the tool, and it's the tool that makes our ecosystem completely coherent across the board. We don't care whether you're using a Mac, an iPad, an iPhone. We want to make it as similar as possible for all three of those devices. And we've spent a lot of time over the last few years as Mac fans worrying that the Mac's going to go away as they bring more iOS features into um, OS X. But now what they're doing is they're saying, well, we're not not bringing features in. We're just making the features the same across the board. Yeah. In fact, I would say that this event kind of showed that they have long-term plans to support the Macintosh. It's not going anywhere. No. It's extremely important to Apple. Yeah. Um. I was quite impressed also with the demeanor of Apple's presentation. It was tight in the way that they went from point to point to point. There was definitely a beginning and an end. It didn't meander at all, but there was a lightness to it. It was guys up on stage that really know what they're doing. That's really excited about where they're taking their products and they're having fun doing it. I mean, there was this cloud over Apple, whether anybody would want to admit it or not after Steve Jobs passed. That everything was kind of serious and, you know, in hushed tones almost. That was all completely gone from this keynote. You know, yeah. this is really a new Apple. Uh, a, a, I think it signified that they are going to be doing things a little different. I think there were some technologies that you would not have seen, especially including uh, support for Windows under Steve Jobs. So I think they're making decisions that they feel is best for Apple, not what Steve Jobs would have done. Which is, of course, is 
famously what he said in um after he died, we were told by Tim Cook that that's exactly what he said he wanted them to do. Yeah, was don't don't think about what I would have done. Do what you think is best. Yep. Um, and, and they're doing that, and I think it ref- it's very much reflective in what I saw on that stage. Yeah, it was a very confident performance. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of has these. Uh, <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's because we're getting older now, but it does kind of have just kind of air of very faint geekiness to it i i found the first 10 minutes of the uh yosemite presentation when they were kept on going on about translucency mm-hmm. I, I was thinking God, guys yeah we get it it's all translucent you know what that's not news yeah but steve Jobs you know? used to do stuff like that too he would he yeah. would kind of focus on this one little thing that he himself was really digging and, and that and that that was the only bit that i found kind of stale and, and really harking back to the past but once they move past that and start talking about features and actual capabilities uh, I found the whole thing came alive for me um, one of the questions that I haven't found an answer to online since the keynote and we're obviously recording this the same week that the keynote happened but that was five days ago now um, was this instant hotspot in that let's say your Wi-Fi network at home goes down and you still need to get online with your Mac. Well, your Mac will then use the the uh, the 4G connection on your phone, your iPhone, to get online. Yeah. Well, I thought you had to pay extra money to 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 make a hotspot with your phone, which I never understood. I mean, it's it's my data that I'm already paying for. What what does AT and T or Verizon or T-Mobile or Orange or whoever? Why do they care what device is actually using that data? They're still no, going to charge me extra if I use more. They they care because they can. Yeah. Um, if they can detect it, it'd be. I mean, that would be one of the things that's interesting to see how it's implemented. See whether they can actually detect that that's what you're doing or not. Um, I I we've we've been having this debate in my company because we've um we've just restructured. We're now being recharged for every device we use to another company, and so they've they've had a look at the number of three G dongles and MiFi's and those sorts of things that people are using or or have registered to them to see whether those are cost effective, you know, against the amount, you know, obviously you pay a monthly charge for those and and if people aren't really using them, then maybe that's not such a great idea. And and I raised the question and and I found out that apparently our mobile contractor here does not charge us now for tethering with the iPhone. So yeah, that's, you don't need that stuff. Just so yes, so exactly. So uh, um, personal hotspot is already a great feature on the iPhone, but to be able to set it up without um, thinking about it. Well, you don't, yeah. yeah, you don't have to think about it. It just does it automatically. But yeah. I'm still left with the question, is there an extra charge with your carrier for doing that? It didn't appear to be in that presentation, but that's a very scripted presentation. Well, I guess it will depend on the carriers. So if they think they can get away with it, they probably will charge for it. Yeah, but Apple's not in the the habit of leaving stuff like that up to carriers. No, but they it, want everyone to have the same experience. If they can hide it from the carriers, they will do. Or Apple just said, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to go along with it, and we don't care if you like it or not. You don't have to carry the iPhone, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you they're, okay, 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 okay. Um, in some respects, this is making, you know, they didn't talk about the carriers at all. You know, they're trying to make the AT&Ts and Verizons and the Comcast to be just dumb pipes. And I think every company out there that's not Comcast or AT&T 
wants that to happen. The only ones that don't want that to happen is AT&T and Comcast and Verizon. They want to be some kind of a service provider plus. And I think as technology keeps getting better and better and better and more sophisticated, that the little add-ons that they try to throw out there, it's not worth anything. They are going to become yeah. a dumb pipe. Well, I've, I think that's that's one of the what this is why i talked before about how, how big a shift i think i thought this was um i think by by tying the mobile platform and the computing platform together so mu- so much more closely and by allowing features to move from one device to another apple is really saying to the user and i think this was a very user for uh, even though it was for a developer conference these features are very user focused these are the sort of things that sell devices well, in stores consumer focused yeah, exactly. Not user focused, consumer focused. Consumer focused. Different things. Yeah. So um, I think by Apple getting in the middle of that, they are very much devaluing any kind of add on that the carrier can add. Yeah. Because anything that anybody else adds, it doesn't matter whether it's the carrier or whether it's Google or Dropbox or whoever it is, whatever they do to try and respond to this, they are still a separate thing from the integration of the Mac and the, and the iOS system. So they're always going to be sat outside that. And, and that in, in itself devalues the utility of those add-ons compared in to some having respects, it. There's other things that Apple did that I think, especially in iOS, uh, that's actually just the opposite of that. It makes the third-party vendors, the developers, even more important. And, uh, you know, that... Honestly, it, it really does. And that's but the extensions for better inter-app communications. I mean... It wouldn't surprise me, though, if those will be focused at genu- what, what what Apple might consider genuine app developers who support the platform as opposed to third parties who are just trying to shoehorn their way in. you got to remember that right. Apple still controls that process. So let's face it, if AT&T decide, dis- designs some kind of you know weird messaging add-on and they want it to appear in notifications... Apple's going to be in a position to say, uh, uh, no, we don't want you doing that. Right. I'm still waiting no. for Apple to become the carrier themselves and just get rid of... I Look, I said this probably within the first couple of episodes of Tech Fan that we've ever done. What I would really like Apple to do is include at least 4G connectivity in every device they make. Every one. And Apple simply uh, gives it away for free. What mm-hmm. they make their money on is the hardware. So any device you have right out of the box can connect to the internet. Now, if you want a faster experience, yeah, you probably want to hook up to your home Wi-Fi or direct connection, you know, Ethernet plugged in. But every device they have just connected to the network. And Apple maintains and supports that network. I think that would <laughs> it would push them over the top more than any other thing they could possibly do. Yeah. Because then you just buy an iPhone, you transfer your phone number to that phone. There's no service contract. There's none of that. It's this, that's your phone. I think they could do it easily. They could buy AT&T or Verizon and just no more carriers. You want your iPhone? Yeah. I I, I guess the problem is, is that to make that work, they want to do it on all their markets, not just in the U S well, yes, I agree. That being said, it would be easier to do it in one market 
first and then start rolling it out to the others. Now, the others would not be happy because, you know, and the carriers in those other countries would look to drop the iPhone like a hot potato because they know what's coming. I can imagine that the carriers in the U.S. wouldn't be particularly thrilled either. No, they wouldn't be. Um, but you know what? The the way that these carriers treat their customers and the exorbitant rates that they charge, I don't really care what they think or how they feel. I, I Yeah, I, and it would be nice if kind of the regulators and the uh, government kind of had the consumers back, but unfortunately they seem to be in the back pocket of the... Uh, of the industry well you know elected officials and they appoint people to work in in different segments of government they're always going to be in the pocket of the big money and unfortunately we the people don't have the money it's the companies and it is a, a rigged system that too many people simply vote against their own best interests because of ignorance you know what I mean? Yeah. And I yeah. don't think that's going to change anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, but that being said, it is a system that's working, David. We look at look at what we have as a society. The the lines of communication that we have open worldwide. Companies like Apple that's making it defi- device independent to get SMS messages on your Mac now. Doesn't matter if they're on an iPhone or not. You still get them. Those yeah. are those are advances that I think need to happen. And of course Apple's primary goal is for you to buy their products. But they're not ignoring what else is out there and I, and I think that was a good sign. Although they kind of were with their new programming language. Um you know that's that's in, that's dependent on iOS. It it doesn't help a developer. I, and I saw some grumblings about this online from developers. Well, I wish Apple's new programming language made it easier for me to port my iOS apps to Android. Why would Apple ever do that? Yeah. Why would they want to? What's in it for well, them? Exactly. It, it's not... The the reason that Apple did that, I don't believe, is to help existing developers. I no, mean, it does help existing developers yeah. because it's basically it's cross-platform. It, 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 it eases... You moving your apps cross-platform between the Mac and the and the and iOS because this Swift, this new programming language, which is kind of a, a C-like programming language, uh, allows you to build code that will run on both platforms right. fairly easily. Um, but that's not the reason they didn't actually do it to help existing developers. Nope. What they built it for is to make it easier to develop for these platforms. Yeah, they they're trying to lower the barrier to entry in in. The development community and that object- is intelligently well done <laughs> exactly objective c is really hard yeah i i, I know I'm, I'm not a great programmer but i know a couple of languages and i know basic i know pascal uh, i've never really gotten to the c type languages um but i had i took a quick look through the uh through the manual for Swift um, after it was launched. And I thought, yeah, I could probably get started with this fairly easily. And that that barrier to entry is much lower than it is with Objective-C, where actually the concepts, just the concepts around actually using the language are so difficult to get your head around. It's virtually a week's course on its own before you write a line of code. Yeah. Whereas Swift avoids a lot of that. And that is the the objective behind it. It's not about um, 
taking these apps and making them available in other places is not actually there to support the development community, except it's there to support Apple by bringing more developers on board. And let's be honest, as much as we uh, respect Apple for releasing the iPad and making the Mac better and the iPhone, it really is the third-party developers out there that make these platforms worthwhile at all. Because if there was no third-party support, the iPhone would have been a very niche product for a long time. Yeah, and, and I heard I heard somebody say this week, and I think this is a fair point for many of the people who you praise Apple for, for what it does in development and the App Store and everything. Let's not forget that Apple didn't really plan this. And and this maybe this is the diff, real difference between the Apple of today and the Apple under Steve Jobs. We, I mean, remember, the, the iPhone never originally had app development, and they didn't want to do it. They resisted it. Yep. And they tried to say for a while, oh, well, actually, you develop apps on the web, and that's how you access the iPhone. And they kind of fought it kicking and screaming. It was only once they kind of embraced it that it became what it is today. And there was a good 18 months between the launch of the iPhone um, and I think it was iOS 3, which is the first one with the App Store. Yes. Where, where, uh, effectively, you know, I, I remember I very clearly with my first iPhone. It was like, yeah, I had all these things I could do, but I could only do those things. I couldn't do anything else yep. because there was no other software for it. But to be fair, there really wasn't a mobile app market anywhere else. You know, up until the iPhone, there really wasn't anything else that you could have to download apps to yes there was a few games tetris like games for flip phones and stuff like that there was a few apps for blackberry um but it really didn't exist nobody was getting rich off of mobile apps there wasn't a whole community of developers around it that started because of apple now you're right they didn't plan on it but this is what a good company does a forward-thinking company a progressive company when the writing was on the wall, they got behind it. Yep. Unlike, say, like we talked about last week, the movie, and the book publishers, uh, the music industries, they tried to fight the change. They, they tried to sue their own customers. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What does Apple do? They get out in front of it. They release an SDK. A programming language. They release uh, tools. They release um, guides on how to do it. And they did it correctly right from the beginning in that it's curated. You can't just put anything up here because this is, and I think Apple was smart here, this is someone's phone. This is something that they're going to need to use, and we can't have software that's just going to destroy the functionality of a telephone. Exactly, and and I I guess that's one of the real differences between what Apple does and many of the other platforms is that they've built a very secure system right from the beginning, and Mm -hmm. and yet it has been restrictive, it has been hard. Many developers this week were very happy because a lot of the tools and changes they've made are going to make applications able to talk to each other in a way they've never been able to before, which is going to help make things a lot better. To make things a lot better. But the thing is, it's still built on that core, secure, trust-no-one architecture, which means that we won't get situations which were... I, I saw an announcement the other day. Apparently, this you've heard these malware tools that you can get on the Windows, on the Windows side that um, will encrypt your PC's hard drive and then charge you a ransom to get the decryption keys. Yep. So that's now appeared on, on uh, Android. Yep. 
Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this tool, if you, you know, Google came out and said they wanted to support, you know, openness and anybody could write apps and there's no curation and look where that got them. And they're backpedaling yep. as fast as they can. You know darn well what they would really like to do is to go back in time and make it a closed architecture, just like yeah. Apple did. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's obvious to me. Some of the moves that they've made, that's what they really wish they would have done. But they can't come out and say that now. Well, also as well, they're, they're, they're trying very hard to make sure that um, they lock the system down so that um, you can't do a runaround around Google's own ecosystem because they're realizing that's a mistake. Yep. The fact that all these Android devices, Samsung has their own interface and their own tools and their own app stores and applications on, they're realizing that that's costing them. And so now they're issuing contracts that basically say if you want to do a Google phone, it has to have all the Google services and nothing else on it. Correct. Um, you know, they're, they're in that position where where they've realized that, that the open approach, it was fine as a short-term strategy, but it doesn't get them anywhere in the long term. It doesn't, and uh, I'm kind of glad that they are coming around because this is an important step in technology. I like the concept of open, David. I really do. I don't like the concept of someone could tell me no. This is my device. What do you mean you no? I can't have this certain app. I want it. I should be allowed to have it. Well, Anarchy doesn't really work. Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over, that's been shown. Anarchy really doesn't work. We do need government. We do need someone who probably knows better than you do on certain things. That's going to look after everybody's best interests. They, I, what it always comes down to with me is, is um, would I rather put up with the inconvenience not being able to do everything I want to do, uh, and then, uh, but that protect me not only for myself, but from the bad guys Yep. versus the uh, situation where you can do whatever you want, but you're likely to kill yourself. Right. I mean, if you think about, think about modding a car, for instance, a modern car, you go out and buy a modern Honda today. There is nothing you can really do to that unless you really know what you're doing yeah. to turn it into a hot rod. Yeah. Very the true. guys who, the guys who do that, the guys who jack them up and put in nitrous and, and, all that good stuff on the bonnet and big spoilers on the back and everything, they have to know what they're doing because if they don't, they're going to end up killing themselves. Yeah. And they yeah, would the be big, the first ones to tell you, no, you shouldn't probably do this. You probably shouldn't do and that. I'm not you know, going to let, you know, my, my grandfather drive this car because <laughs> he'd yeah. kill himself. It'd and sure much. enough, sure enough, if you take that Honda into the garage after you've done that, uh, they'll turn around and say, oh, no warranty for you. We right. don't want anything more to do with it. Right. Yeah. Now you could argue, say, oh, that's closed. That's not fair. I bought that. I paid for it. Why? But that is just the way it is. Yep. And, and uh, it's the same with phones. It's more important with phones. I agree because let's be honest. When you have a problem and you need to call help, whether it's an ambulance, a fire truck, or a police officer, whether it's your uh, child is sick in school and you need to go pick them up. Uh, whether it's someone passed away and they're trying to get the news to you, whatever it is that's important, wouldn't you feel pretty stupid and pretty selfish knowing that you didn't get that message because of this app that you downloaded that allowed you to do something, but by the way, it was very harmful to your phone. Yeah. And uh, there's a, you know, there's legal precedents that also scared Apple, you know, 
is Apple responsible or is Google responsible when a piece of software gets on the phone and, and renders it useless and someone dies because they couldn't call out when they should have been able to? You know, whose responsibility is that? Yeah. You know, there's there's um, some scary legal things right there that I That's think right. Apple yeah. recognized really, really quickly. And those kind of things are never brought up in the conversation of open. No. No, well, and not only that, uh, there's, there's one of the things that kind of uh, kind of always ticks me off about the open source movement is this idea that, oh, it's open, that means that everyone can inspect it and make sure it's good and it's right and it's everything. And what we've seen the last few weeks is that that's, that's a crock. Nobody looks at this code, and even the people who do look at it aren't qualified to look at it. So we still end up with the same amount of of bugs and flaws and serious problems in this software yeah it's it's yeah it gets found out eventually but it takes two three years for somebody not to notice it but in the meantime everyone's been patting themselves on the back saying well this software is free and it's open it's been audited and everyone looks at it so therefore it's much better than closed systems where the nsa could have put a back door in and uh apple doesn't tell you what they're doing and all this sort of thing and and it's just like well it's it's a fiction yeah. It's a complete and utter fiction, and it's 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 you're you're just kidding yourself. And and the thing is with with what happened this week at WWDC is that for all of those reasons, Apple would have been well within their rights to turn around and say, you know what, iOS is secure because of the way we do it, and we're never going to let your applications talk to each other, and we're never going to um, provide uh, communication channels with you different things. We're never going to let you put your own information into the notification center. We're never going to let you access the radio on the phone so you can talk to a Mac. And instead, what they've done is they've they've answered all of those criticisms by building the systems to do that, but they've done it in a way that still maintains the integrity of the phone. Absolutely. Uh, so that shows they well are put. yeah. They are listening, and they are, they do understand that this is important to people, but they're, they're also interested in doing it right. Yeah. And, of course, what you'll also get with these systems, you don't get with Android, you don't get even with Windows Phone, is you get that, that kind of seamless user experience that you don't get with other platforms, where it just that, – that kind of thing, they don't say, it just works. Yep. You bring, bring your phone near your Mac, and it just works. It knows that you're editing an email, all of a sudden that appears on your Mac. Now, don't get me wrong – you know, the proof of pudding is actually executing that. And I've found, for instance, that AirDrop in the current version of iOS 7 and uh, and and also on the Mac side, even though they don't talk to each other, um, for me, often doesn't work very well. I, I sometimes struggle to get my iOS devices to AirDrop to each other. So sometimes it just works. I've had a problem with AirDrop between my yeah. uh, laptop and my Mac that are literally sitting a foot from yeah. each other. So, so it, it didn't work very yeah. well. So the features of, is one thing, but actually getting to work reliably with that, it just works. Um, mantra is important, and it's going to be important for them to get that right. And I think the biggest risk from what we saw this week is that there's so much in there that you know a lot of it could not work very well, and in which case they're going to have to go back to the drawing board. But having said that, I think the ambition to provide that seamless service is really what Apple is trying to differentiate themselves from Google and from Microsoft is to say, well, actually we, we're going to turn our whole ecosystem into a way that supports everything. Um, and that's going to sell more devices, which is what we're all about. And I think it's a smart move. Speaking of a smart move, there's other podcasts in the stoplight network. Let's play an ad for one of those. And it's a smart move because you should check this podcast out. You may enjoy it and you may become a new fan. We'll be right back. 
Lisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, Women, Savvy, Geeks, Three Geeky Ladies, Technology from a Female Perspective. Back on Tech Fan number 165, I'm Tim Robertson, he's David Cohen. We love getting feedback from everyone. If you want to send us an email, you can send it to either David or I. If you want to send it directly to me, it's Tim at techfanpodcast.com. David is at? David at techfanpodcast.com. Funny that. Yeah, funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We did get one email that I thought we'd share here, David, and it was from uh, John Nemirovsky. He is the uh, reviews editor at mymac.com, and uh, he's a very... Um, he, he's a good writer himself, not just a, an editor. And John's been with my Mac for, geez, I'm going to say probably 18, now well, maybe 17 years. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's a long time. Um, I mean, it get started less, in get, 95. You get less for murder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my Mac started in 95 and I think John came in around 97. So that's all, I mean, that's a long run and, uh, I I love having John at at my Mac. I mean, he's got such a great chemistry with the writers, uh, and the, the developers and the hardware makers out there to actually get products for review. Uh, Yeah. I think, I think the interesting about John is that while many of us work in the, you know, the computer industry, the tech industry, John's one of the few people among us who's actually working with the consumer yes. virtually full-time. He, he 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 devotes all his time to helping people, uh, either either on a business or a personal level, help them use their gadgets, use their technology, use their computers. So he has a very interesting insight into how people struggle with some of this stuff. Right. We talk about, you know, interactivity or interconnectivity and apps on the iPhone and, you know, hands-off syncing and all this kind of thing. The people he's dealing with have no idea what any of that is. Yeah. And one of the things John does is kind of teach them how to use this technology that they already know or they already own. They just don't use it because they. it's very – there's a huge gap between people like us and an average consumer. And it's very easy for us to get lost in the, in the minutiae, if you will. Yeah. And so, you know, I really like it when – John sends uh, us an email because it does remind me that there is a different point of view out there. Sometimes it's a less informed view, someone he may be dealing with, um, or sometimes it's simply a different view because they're using technology in ways that we didn't even think about. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So what John said to us is, I was helping a senior citizen client today with her audible audio book download confusion. She was incredulous that Apple tells Audible and Amazon users that they need to purchase their audiobooks and ebooks using the website stores only, and that only then can they use their Audible and Kindle apps on their iPads to listen to and read to their per- read their purchased books. P.S. Audible Phone's tech support agent was in Kingston, Jamaica. That was a first, but a very helpful fellow. So, uh, to which you responded, well, yeah, Apple doesn't tell anybody to do anything. Apple says... No. You can do that if you want. But if you have in-app purchases in your app, including subscription services, you have to pay the 30% that every other developer does to Apple because you are running your business on their closed system. And if you're going to do that, 
Apple gets a cut. And I don't blame them for that. I think that's fair. And if you don't want to give Apple a cut, you don't have to. But you don't get the in-app purchases. You're going to have to make your customers jump through hoops to get the content. That is 100% on Amazon and Audible. And Audible is owned by Amazon. So yeah, uh, that's 100% Amazon controlled. And that's their decision to make. Now, if you want the best experience you can get using Audible or Amazon, then you should probably buy a Kindle or a Kindle Fire because it's, it's fabulous. You're right in their ecosystem. Yeah. The store is basically built in. You know, you see something, you click, boom, you buy it, and it's right there on the device, and it's super simple. You don't even have to put a password in, which personally I don't like because I let my children play on them. I'm like, don't you buy anything. <laughs> and actually, there is a way to turn that off too, but um, I digress. If you want that experience, an Apple device isn't the best. It just isn't because Amazon made the decision to make their customers jump through hoops to get content, to pay for stuff because they did not want to share any money with Apple. None. They wanted all the money for themselves, but they still want to take advantage of that Apple ecosystem. Well, blame Amazon, not Apple. Yeah. Um, it, it is unfortunate. Of course, the, the downside of people making that decision to go to a Kindle Fire is, of course, what they lose then lose access to is the is the rich ecosystem of Apple apps. Yep. They don't get access to those. And all of those developers who um, offer apps on the App Store for iOS devices are paying that 30%. And, but if it is someone that's... 90% just reading content or listening to content being audible, it probably still is a better choice for them to go with a non-Apple product because it's going to be easier for that person using it for that one purpose for the most part. Yeah. But even so, it's not difficult. I had this conversation with somebody who's not tech-savvy at all. They didn't understand why they had to go to Safari to buy the book and then go back to Kindle. Why can't they yeah. just do it in Kindle? I mean, th this person didn't understand that what you're seeing in Safari is the internet. But yeah, what's the difference between that and this Kindle app? Eh, that's kind of hard to explain to someone who just is is not you know heavy into tech the way we are. Well, yeah, it is, and and. I think you're absolutely right. I think if all you ever do is read books and watch videos and you buy most of those from Amazon, then uh, a Kindle Fire makes a lot of sense for you. My mother has a Kindle Fire and she absolutely loves it. Mm -hmm. because, but the thing is, she has no interest in apps. She has no interest. She likes to do a bit of email uh, and then uh, an the occasional bit of web browsing, but mostly she's reading books and watching uh, and Amazon. Let's not pretend stuff that there isn't it. any apps on the Kindle Fire. There is. There's a lot of apps. Yeah. yeah. But and the point is, fine. yeah. The point is, she's not interested in any of that. Uh -huh. So, so she doesn't, you know, she doesn't have a have a desire for an Apple device. She just just doesn't need it. And, and as you said right at the beginning, those devices, you know, they're they're kind of a they're a slate of glass. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, yes, you can say from a technical point of view that the Kindle Fire is not as smooth and as uh, in terms of how the software operates, is not as smooth as refined as iOS. Correct. And certainly doesn't get upgraded like iOS. Uh, and it can't do all of these neat things that we've just been talking about in the last segment about integrating with other devices. But for some people, they don't care about that. And nope. they're quite happy to pay a cheaper price and have a fully integrated experience. And that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. No. In fact, I would say that the, the Kindle, if I was to recommend any other tablet outside of Apple's, I am very attracted to what Microsoft's doing with the Surface, I'll be honest. A part of me really would yeah. like to get one of those new Surface Pro 3s, um, mm-hmm. as long as I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> I don't want to pay for one. Um, so if you're listening, Microsoft, freebies right here. Thank you. Um, I would probably recommend to most people the Kindle Fire brand because, like Apple, it is curated. Now you can, there's ways that you could side load and blah, blah, blah. But the, for the people that I would recommend Kindle for, that would never even be an option anyways. They have no idea what that means, right? Mm-hmm. They would live within that Amazon Prime-like ecosystem. And it would work brilliantly for them. All their books, a couple of the apps, you know, where where's the water or where's my water, that type of app is on there are some of in fact i just saw uh grand theft auto gta they were all just released for the kindle fire in fact they even work with the kindle fire tv so i think it's a very viable alternative and still safe from the bad software that is out there on the android side and by definition the windows side because it's, it's windows um that's what I would recommend. I would recommend a Kindle, a Kindle Fire. It'd probably work a lot better for John's client than the iPad, if that's what she's primarily using it for. Yeah, we and we don't know that from. I don't know. I don't want to assume. Description. But yeah. I, I have a feeling that that's probably the case. She probably uses very few apps. She probably uses um, maybe a game here or there, uh, and probably email, Facebook, and some photos. All of those things, very minimal gaming, Facebook, photos, and reading. I could never recommend going with the more expensive iPad if that is where you're at. Save some money, get a Kindle Fire, you'll be happy. It's a good device. Yeah, I've got having, one. having said that, if you if you buy the previous generation iPad Mini, you're not spending a lot of money to get all of that stuff plus the capability of iOS. True. But the, the trade-off is the fact that you've got this slight wrinkle with the complexity with um, third-party purchases with Amazon stuff. Yeah. And it's really hard to me to make a blanket, this is my recommendation, because it really is a case-by-case basis. I, yeah. I need to know more about who the user is, what their experience level is, uh, what their needs are, so without having that, it's really difficult to make a blanket recommendation. But and, and that being said, all, it's almost always Apple that I do make the recommendation simply yeah. because of the, the much more rich ecosystem. I, I think the other thing is always you, you have to try and estimate how people will change once they have these devices. Yes. Because it would be very easy to say, well, actually, if all you want to do is watch video and maybe read the occasional book, go out and buy a cheap $100 Android tablet. 
you know, because that's bargain basement. It'll do what you want it to do. But the point is, you know, that most people, once they have the tablet, if they've never had one before, they will then start to want to maybe perhaps do a little bit more on it. And then they'll very quickly bump up against the limits of a very, very cheap tablet. Yes. So it's always, you always have to try and gauge that. If you're, if you're recommending something like a Kindle Fire to somebody to, to try and think, well, actually, if they're going to want to push beyond that fairly quickly, then dropping the $250 on that is poor value because they're going to quickly want to get rid of it and buy something else. Whereas with at least with an with a iOS device or, or a Galaxy Nexus 7 or something like that as well, you know that if they want to start doing more, it has the capability, it has some headroom to do more as well. Absolutely. You know, next week, David, is the, uh, I believe it's ne- next week or the week after, I'd have to look it up, but I believe it's next week, is the E3 Entertainment mm. Expo. And that's all going to be about video games. Um, you know, now that the, the the next generation is here, so, you know, the Xbox One, the PS4, all that, is the current generation. It's not even next generation. Yeah. No, it's the current generation. Um, I don't know what if I'm really all that excited about E3 this year. Well, there's been a couple of things, hasn't there? I dropped a new mail during the week that announced that... Um, Batman Arkham Knight, the final game in the Batman trilogy. And uh, Arkham Asylum and Arkham City were huge hits. Um, Open world games that allow you to play as Batman, kind of going around Gotham, doing your thing, beating up criminals, all that sort of stuff. Um, Now, the the final one is going to be current, what you said, current generation only, but basically these these higher-end consoles only. And then that's now not going to hit this holiday season. It's not going to come out until 2015. Yeah, you know... that is... That that hurts the the new generation of of platforms. No problem, or uh, no question there. The problem is how long it's going to take companies now to develop these AAA titles. They're finding that the development cycle that they were using for the 360, the PS3, those systems aren't a good measuring stick for how long it's going to take for the new systems because everything is much bigger and more complex. Uh, eventually, could, they'll get the, the development time down when they have more experience, no question. And they I ran into s- these same type of problems you know, five years ago too, David. My concern is that that extra development doesn't really bring you an awful lot. I think we're... we're I've the, my, my worry is we're hitting the law of diminishing returns. I was in a game store the other day, and they had an Xbox One running. It was some sort of racing game. And and I, it interested me because it was actually the car you were running around was actually on the Top Gear test track. Mm-hmm. So um, anybody who's ever watched Top Gear, they have a uh, they they film it at, at a, a studio at a studio um, which is kind of a big hangar that's on the edge of an airfield, and they use part of the airfield as their regular test track. And the advantage is that it's always the same, so they can compare the lap times of different vehicles, and they do a thing where they put celebrities in cheap cars to see how fast they go around, and all this sort of thing. So anybody who's ever watched Top Gear for a long period of time knows this track very well. You kind of recognise every single yeah, corner. Hammerhead, you know, the Hammerhead, oh, sure. Chicago, all of this, this sort of thing. So, it, you know, it was fun to be able to race around that um, very familiar track. And they, and they had all the stuff in the background you'd expect to see. There's the, the jumbo jet parts over in the corner and the Dakota and all the other things. But the thing is, so this is this is the Xbox One. This is the premium generation of consoles. The thing, the graphics were really horribly jaggy. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I was looking at it, I think, wow, it's a long time since I've seen graphics that look this bad. They'd spent a lot of effort putting the backgrounds in. The, there was trees next to hangars, and you could see shadows on the trees that were moving as you went around the track. And there's all these people on stands watching and all this sort of thing. But even without going – I mean, once I spotted this, I, I drove right up close to see the floors. But even as you were driving past them, you could see that – these were. It looked like they'd taken pictures from people in the studio because the thing about Top Gear is a hangar, so they right. they kind of they 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 do a bit, and everyone's just kind of stood around in a circle watching. It looked like they'd taken photos of real people from the audience and kind of pasted them in, but there was too much repetition, so you could see the same faces. Yes, right, and even going past at like an equivalent of of a simulated hundred miles an hour, as I went past his hangar, I could see in the corner of my eye that there were repeating faces. Right, so then I stopped and I drove right up, and at one point, my car is right up against this fence, and there's this big queue of people here, and there is the same guy, three copies of him, stood right in front of me. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. And I'm that's thinking, lazy development, though. That's, I'm thinking, that's not on yeah. the council. But the point is, is this is the next generation. This is what's supposed to impress me, and this thing looked like a bad Xbox 360 game. But, you know, the thing is, that kind of happens with every new generation since the PS2, that the first batch of games... I mean, I, I'll give you a prime example. Uh, Saints Row came out when the Xbox 360 launched. Well, within the first couple months, right? And it sold really well because it was the first on the new generation of this open world gaming. And if you compared it to, let's say, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, it looked a lot better. But if you take that and compare it to the last Saints Row that appeared, which is, I think, Saints Row 4, 3 or 4, I think it's 4, you compare it with that one, and it's night and day, but yet it's the same platform, and it's the same developer. They just need to learn the capabilities of this new machine. And that takes a little time. I think that because of how well the PS3 and the PS4, I'm sorry, the PS3 and the Xbox 360 did graphics, in comparison to how good some of these developers got to take full advantage of it, that we're a little bit spoiled. That the PS4 and the Xbox One isn't this quantum leap that we got from the PS2 and the, and the first Xbox to the 360 and the PS3. You know what I mean? I know I just yeah. threw a lot of acronyms out there. And no, I no, I, I, I understand what but you're saying. But it's not the quantum leap that video gamers were expecting. Yeah, but the problem is if the consoles are very expensive, you don't get a quantum leap, and the development times are very long, and in the meantime as well, these games are becoming more and more expensive to develop that there's a real risk of the whole thing kind of falling in. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think there's a big risk of that. Um, and I thought that's why initially Microsoft might actually do better than Sony. And I say that because initially Microsoft wasn't positioning this thing as just a video game system, but that it would be the ecosystem of your living room, you know, television yeah. experience. And I thought that was very smart. They're, kind of insulating themselves from the first batch of crappy games that are going to come out on any new platform until it matures a little bit. The developers get a little bit better uh, to support really high-end gaming for it. Whereas 
Sony, well, this is a video game system. Well, that's great, but if your video games for the new PS4 don't look significantly better than it does for the PS3, then why bother? Yeah. And I would agree with you, David. I think there is a really big chance here. Well, I don't want to say that. I'll say there's a slight chance. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic than you are. There is a slight chance that it could fall apart. It could collapse under its own weight. That developers out there can't spend $100 million developing a AAA title that's going to come out in three years rather than a year and a half. Because they can't front that kind of cost. And it's less and less likely nowadays that Sony will help offset some of those costs. They used to do that. Mm. They don't do that too much anymore. Yeah. So, and, and how many times have we read, I don't know, just in the last two years, oh, this studio closed and that studio closed. EA shut this studio down in Scotland. You know, Rare is gone. Nintendo closed them down finally. Um, I've seen that over and over and over, studios closing. But up until this point, it doesn't seem to have affected the number of big games that's come out and the great games that's come out. I mean, the best games that's come out for the Xbox 360 and the PS3 came out in the last two years. Yeah. The best games. Well, with the exception of Halo. <laughs> I mean, I, I still don't think that they've done a better game than Halo 2. That's still the best. But that's the system seller for the Xbox 360, that, that second Halo game. You know, it was Halo that sold the Xbox. It was Halo 2 that sold the Xbox 360. Yeah. Where's Halo whatever for the Xbox Halo 5. One? Yeah. Halo 5 is not due until 2015 either. Yeah. And Christmas time? Uh, well, remains to be seen. I think they're a little bit up in the air at the moment about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely right. That, that this goes back to what I was saying. I think that's a huge problem for them. Mm -hmm. I think I think this Christmas is going to be very slow for them. Um, and the problem is, is that I guess Microsoft has the money to keep supporting the platform. God knows they've thrown in enough billions into the Xbox ecosystem as a whole. The first one wasn't a great seller. The second one had a slow start and those huge warranty issues. Mm. Um, and then finally became a terms. hit. Yeah. Then, then finally became a hit. Um, the problem is, is that Sony, <laughs> Sony's losing money. Big time losing money. No, they said um, that they are making money on the PS4 now. They might be making money on the PS4, but as, as a, company, a company, they're losing. They money. are losing money. Yeah. Uh, and the problem is, is I don't know how deep their pockets are to keep propping the platform up, waiting for it to come. It's good. not the way it used to be. I think Sony's probably, unless other than the the PS4, unless things get turned around, the rest of Sony, I think they're a, a huge mark for acquisition within the next couple of years. I could see yep. someone like Apple buying Sony. Yep. I mean... Well, certainly the, the video games part of it. No, I think I don't Apple think that, could... I don't think they'd buy Columbia Pictures or anything like that, would they? I don't know. I mean, the last decade has seen nothing but one large company swallowing another large company to become a, a mega conglomerate. And, you know, you, you don't have to look any farther than Comcast for that. Yeah. I mean, I, personally, here's Comcast. They, they're the provider of the service to your house. Oh, and now they own NBC. But on their same lines, they also offer all these other channels, which competes against NBC. 
I think that's a huge conflict of interest. I don't think it's in the public good, and I don't think that should have happened. I don't think it should have been allowed. But it doesn't matter what I think because it was allowed and it did happen. So is Apple looking at swallowing another big company like Sony? I don't know. If you if you look back at the last 10 years of business history, yeah, maybe. I mean, how many companies own Motorola now? Yeah. This is their this is their what third owner now? Mm-hmm. But they didn't sell all of it. Google kept some of it, but it, I don't know. It's it's one of those <clears throat> one of those things that I don't think it's ever good for consumers when one big company gets swallowed by another one. By the same token, unless they turn things around, there is going to be no Sony at all, because eventually. They're just going to have to, you know, shut the doors because they're not going to be able to pay their debts. Yeah. So what happens to the brand then? What happens to the products? The people that bought a product and it's still under warranty. And that's not good for consumers when a company like Sony goes away. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm on the fence there. I really am. It's 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 certainly going to be interesting this year for um, video games. Um, I'll be interested to see as well what. What's being talked about for E3? I think it's going to be very difficult to hype up games that aren't coming out for another 12, 18 months. And here's the chance for companies like Apple, like Amazon, um, like Google, to really start pushing this casual game market into the living room. Look, Amazon was the first one there, as far as I'm concerned, with the Fire TV. I don't mm-hmm. have a Fire TV. I might eventually get one. It's it's pretty cheap. What is it? A hundred bucks? Yeah. I might eventually get one, but I don't want to get the first version. <laughs> I, want, uh, I want it to be a little bit more mature before I spend any money. I made that mistake with the Ouya. I hate the Ouya. The controller sucks. I like the the platform itself. Just the controller is just terrible. Thus, I don't play games on it. So there was you know hundred dollars flushed down the toilet. But that being said. Because of the long development times and because of the frustration people are going to have with these new super consoles, there's a really good chance for someone like Apple, someone like Google, to push these casual type of games that we enjoy just as much as we do the AAA titles. Hello, Tiny Death Star, David? Yeah. (laughs) You know, we enjoy those just as much. Why not on your television? And why not on a device that only costs a hundred bucks and maybe thirty bucks for a controller? I, I think there's a good opportunity here, David. And I think we're going to see a shift in home video game consoles. I think you're going to yeah. see uh, a bigger push from Amazon. They're going to really start pushing this thing soon once they get more titles for it. I think Google's going to get into the mix there, and I think Apple's going to make a huge splash somehow. Because when it comes to mobile games, that's Apple now, right? Yeah. Nobody nobody comes close to Apple. Nintendo doesn't. Uh, Sony doesn't. Uh, I, there's no way that Google does. And I know Amazon doesn't. So when it comes to mobile games, we're talking about iOS gaming. That's what mobile games is now. That's where 90% of the profits are. When that goes into your living room in a very elegant, easy way, for both the user and the developer to, to port their games over to work with a new Apple TV in the living room. That's going to be a huge shift. And that's got to be what Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo are more worried about than anything else. Because most of us have 
yeah, we can kill a half hour playing a game here. We can launch the Xbox One for the five games that we have. That's not casual at all. That really do require you to play for about an hour before you can stop just to get through this level. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what, I could play for 15 minutes on this game, five minutes on this, and another 10 minutes on that on the Apple TV. And then I'm done. And heaven forbid, Apple puts some kind of, oh, I don't know, interconnectivity that I can just send it to my iPad. Oh, my God. It'd be the end of Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo as far as video games. The end of my life. Probably tiny Death too. If I have Tiny Death Star on my TV, that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know I introduced you to that game and uh you kinda got into it. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got I've got Tiny Death Star on my iPhone, which I don't play very often on there, so it's you know, I'm not very it hasn't progressed that far on my iPhone. My iPad I, though, I've literally bought everything I can buy. I can't buy any more levels. I can just keep restocking my store and making the little things down in the bottom and I, that's all I can do. Now, see, when you get to that point in Tiny Death Star, then it should introduce Tiny Alderaan and have you laser it away. <laughs> <laughs> or Tiny uh, Rogue Squadron, and then you yeah. get to attack the Death Star. <laughs> uh, David, we should wrap up the show. We're over an hour at this point. Uh, I had a lot of fun this week on the Tech Fan Podcast with you. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was um, good. I look forward to seeing what happens this next week, I and I do believe E3 is coming out, so maybe we'll have some more video game stuff to talk about. Cool. Um, more importantly, though, we really want to get some feedback from you guys. So send your feedback in, uh, Tim at TechFanPodcast.com or David at TechFanPodcast.com. Or you could simply go to our website, which is... It's TechFanPodcast.com. <laughs> that would be it. And uh, yeah. leave a message there under the show notes, and we will read them right here i'm going to the website right now because i i don't think we've got any feedback on the website lately not on the website but we have had um we have while we've been recording we've had another email so oh, did we? quite a lot quite a long one yeah so uh, we can cover that next week well, who is that from it's from geisel oh my god <laughs> oh he could have just sent a voice message <laughs> so we'll uh we'll read guy's email next week unless he's calling us idiots or something then you know we we'll have to have a rumble in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.